All right, my name is Libby Swenson. I have been a member of Grace Commons since 2003 when I very first moved to Boulder. And I was kind of looking at different churches and all of these different kinds of things and just wondering where God wanted me to go. And can I tell you the very first day I walked into Grace Commons, there was a group of men wearing kilts with bagpipes. And I thought, this is it. This is it. I'm from the South. I've never even heard of bagpipes. So <laughs> that's what reeled me in. So I've, had, I've just made so many friendships uh, here at Grace Commons. I, Russ and I and others were part of the Alpha program many moons ago. And uh, we just have gotten to see the Lord do so, so many things. So it's just a thrill to get to be back here today. And um, as I said, my name is Libby Swenson. And I work for an organization called Love Justice International. And you're, I'm going to be sharing with you today about our work and about our specific strategy of fighting the world's greatest injustices. And I wanted to tell you, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this painting. Has anyone ever seen this painting? Oh, surely you have. Okay. This is actually a very famous painting by August Schenk, uh, who is from Denmark, and he painted this in 1878. The reason I'm showing you this painting is because the title of the painting is called Anguish. You see the mother sheep with her dying baby lamb, trying to protect it as the crows are surrounding, waiting. Can you sense that anguish? So this painter was very famous for actually using animals to portray human emotion. You know, oftentimes when we think of emotions, they actually did a survey many years ago of 7,000 people what are the most popular or most common emotions? Three words came out, sad, glad, mad. <laughs> Which can state something, but when you think of anguish, anguish means it, it, it's, it's a sorrow and angst that goes to your very bones, where you just want to fall, slide down the wall on the floor because the agony is so torturous. So what I'm going to be talking to you today is about the problem of modern day slavery and human trafficking. People who live in utter anguish. Today, there are more people living in slavery than in any time in all of history. An estimated 40 million people today are living as slaves. Human trafficking is tied in and connected with drug trafficking, illegal arms industry. So they're kind of all in the same wheelhouse. But human trafficking is the fastest growing of all of the criminal industries in the world today. People being sold for as little as $20. And it's a very profitable industry. The annual net profits 
of human trafficking are at $150 billion annually. That is more than the net profits of Nike, Google, Starbucks, Disney, and the NFL combined. This is a massive criminal industry, and the vulnerable are the ones who feel the anguish of it. So I have a little exercise that we are going to do today. And just to let you know that the content that you are about to hear is very disturbing because it describes human trafficking and sexual violence. If you are sensitive to these things, um, you might wanna step out for the next few minutes or so because um, it could have an effect on you. But God loves every person more than you love the person you love the most. So if you want to get closer to God's view of human trafficking, imagine how it would feel if it happened to someone that you love. In this exercise, I want you to think of a real person who is precious to you as you hear about one of the worst forms of human trafficking, sex trafficking. Although many of the elements that you will be hearing about described are common in sex trafficking, every story is very different. Every case is unique. So I want all of us to close our eyes. Everybody close your eyes and picture a child who is precious to you. It might be your daughter. It might be a granddaughter. It might be a niece. It might even be your own mother thinking about her as a young child. See her face, her innocence and gentleness, the quiet hope for her life and wonder at the world, her little smile, her laugh, the ease and grace in her playful movements. Now imagine that this precious little girl was born into poverty and uncertain about her future. Picture her at home, her friends, her little bed, walking the paths that she loves and wondering what her life will be like. She is filled with hopes and dreams to be known and loved, to find someone who will cherish her as God wants her to be cherished. Now imagine that someone arrives and offers her a great opportunity. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a marriage, or a chance for education. These are the promises that traffickers use to deceive their victims. Lured by hope for a better life, she leaves behind everything she has known. The dirty walls of her house that she has seen from a thousand angles. The faces of her family and friends. She's excited and scared. And she is brave. So she sets out with the hopeful expectation of a better life. She's innocent, so she is trusting. She follows the instructions of her host because she hopes for and so believes 
in what he has promised her. Together they travel by train or by bus, stopping along the way to eat, trying to keep out of sight. She looks out at the changing countryside, wondering what her new life will be like. Hopeful. She is filled with wonder at the landscapes that she had scarcely dreamed of. They cross the border on foot. She does not ask why they must be so secret and accepts easily whatever explanation her benefactor happens to give. They arrive at the destination and she's told to wait for her benefactor to return. She grows impatient and tries to go look for him, but the way is barred. She is told that she has been sold. She is no longer free because now she owes the brothel owner a great deal of money. The other girls will help her understand the disgusting way she will be forced to pay back the debt her trafficker claims over her. She must have sex with old men, 30 to 50 men per day. That is her job now. This is her home. She does not understand. She never agreed to this. She doesn't want to do this. She wants to go home. She's indignant, angry, still feeling that her benefactor will return and determine that she will not do this kind of work. She is still a little girl. She has not yet been broken, but she soon will be. When she refuses, she is subject to the most horrible forms of rape and torture. Trafficked girls are sometimes locked in a dark room, forced to take drugs, or told that if they refuse, their mothers and sisters will be trafficked in their place. Day after day, if she continues to refuse, the tortures will grow worse. The other girls will tell her what is inevitable. She cannot hold out. She has no choice in the matter. She must accept her fate. She will break. Her dream of meeting someone who will love her and cherish her will die. She will give it up to stop the pain, to see the sun, to save her sister, to save her life. From this point forward, her days are made up of repeatedly being violated through every unspeakable form of sex. She is beaten if she tries to refuse. She may try to escape, but she doesn't know how to get home. She has no money, she does not speak the language, and the criminal justice systems of her new home have been corrupted so that they may be more likely to accommodate human traffickers than the victims. It is likely that one day one of the men she is forced to have sex with will pass to her the disease that will kill her. At first she will not realize it, passing it on to others for several months. Eventually she will be tested, her heart pounding as she waits for the results and then dropping when she hears the words HIV positive. She is forced to leave the brothel and return home.
She left a virgin. She's returning with HIV. She wanders back to her village, heartsick and alone. She does not love the paths anymore. Her friends are all gone, and her family will reject her. She is unclean now. Not a suitable person for good people to be around. No longer welcome in the house whose dirty walls she used to know so well. She cannot find a job, a husband, or a friend. If it comes to this, she will do the only thing she knows. She will wander the nearby villages until she sees a young girl at just the right age with a pretty face, a trusting, innocent girl as she herself once was. She will promise this young girl a job. She will lie, and the little girl will believe her. And the two together will take a bus to a border town, crossing the border on foot. Now open your eyes. Imagine if you could go back to a moment in time for this precious child, where you could change the end to the story and cut off the evil that began when she was deceived by a trafficker. Imagine that you could get back to this innocent child, your granddaughter, your daughter, your niece, and imagine this child so full of hopes and dreams, and you could help keep her on the path to her dreams. Is there anything you wouldn't give? Is there anything you wouldn't do to help her? And that is why we exist as Love Justice International. We exist to share the love of Jesus Christ by fighting the world's greatest injustices. And because of the egregiousness of the crime of human trafficking, because of the exploitation of the poor and the vulnerable, because of the insane numbers of people that are living today in modern day slavery, the growth of human trafficking, the speed at which it continues to multiply, as an organization, we believe that this is the greatest injustice in the world. And we have a specific strategy to help fight against this injustice. Our strategy is called transit monitoring. We work in locations, in places of transit. We work in 28 countries around the world. Our work started in Kathmandu, Nepal, which is still our main world headquarters right now. We began in Nepal working on the borders of Nepal and India because we learned the data was showing us that every year, 10 to 12,000 young girls were being trafficked from Nepal into India and into Bangladesh into these notorious red light districts. Girls that were being lured by a promise of a good job. So then we began working on the borders. And that has now grown into working in 28 different locations around the world with 65 operating transit monitoring stations. So let me explain to you what it is that we do. 
In the world of anti-trafficking and fighting against this horrific crime, there are many different methods of doing that. And they are all very good methods for the most part. On the left, we will see awareness. So this is raising awareness to people. It's doing things like this, telling people about the problem. What are the numbers? What is happening? The only con to that is that you really can't gather any kind of data from just simply raising awareness. And what I mean by that, like let's say someone goes into a classroom and they educate 90 children about human trafficking. There is just no data out anywhere that says, well, because you educated 90 people, 75 of those children will not be trafficked. We just, nobody in the world has this data. On the other end is rescue, which is also very, very important. And I have worked with rescue organizations before. The obvious problem of rescue is that the exploitation has already take, taken place. And no one can ever undo the exploitation and the abuse that has happened to that person. Not only that, it is very, very expensive. Now, this person, to receive counseling and therapy, which most will need for the rest of their lives, can cost anywhere from five to $50,000 per person. Not that that person is it valuable? Of course they are. They are worth every penny. They are invaluable in God's eyes. But what if we could stand right in the middle, in the place of transit, that we can actually intercept people as they are being trafficked, but before they reach their point of exploitation? Not only are we helping the exploitation to never happen, we're, we are avoiding it entirely, but we can actually intercept somebody per person for about $120 per person. So penny to the dollar, this is where, <laughs> this is where it is most cost effective in a number of ways. This also means that we can continue to intercept more and more and more people. So this is how we are able to grow is by being at places of transit and our places of transit um, are, are multiple. To date, we have had, um, I think actually our brand new numbers today are over 33,000 people that we have intercepted from human trafficking and we have made arrests of 1,158 traffickers. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so we work very closely with, with law enforcement. Um, and, and John was asking earlier, I'll just give you a little idea of how we actually get started somewhere. We have researchers that will go into a country. They will do all of the research on this country. For, for instance, we just started in Ecuador just, just a few months ago. It's our first operation in South America. But what we had to do first, though, we went to Ecuador. We found a local church, talked to the local pastor cast the vision for the need. And many people already feel the need in their country because they know that trafficking is so prolific in their country. We meet with the local church. We talk about what our, what our strategy is of transit monitoring. We make certain that the government will allow us to be there. And we also have to make certain that law enforcement will work alongside us because there's just so much corruption 
around the world. Many places are very difficult to work because law enforcement are often bribed by traffickers. You know, they get money for just letting them go on through to the next location. So we begin in these three areas. We will then start what we call a pilot, where we will begin monitoring with all locals of, of the local church. None, no expat staff do any type of monitoring. It's all locals. So they speak the language, they know the culture, they know the people, all of these things. So once somebody begins coming through, our staff are then just looking for something that might be a red flag. You know, for instance, why is this older man with this younger girl, you know, going from Benin to Sierra Leone? What, what are they doing? Why, why is he taking her there? So our staff will stand at particular stations like this and they will just stop and begin asking questions, quietly separating them. They may ask the young girl, where are you going? What are you doing? And she may say something to the effect of, well, I don't know this man, but he came to my village and he offered me a great job in Benin and said that I can send the money back home to my family so that my brothers and sisters can go to school. We ask the alleged trafficker, what are you doing? Where are you going? And he may say, oh, this is my cousin. I'm taking her to go meet family. We're having a family reunion. Well, that's an obvious red flag. <laughs> So once that happens, we have what is called a record intercept form, an RIF, where we will begin asking multiple questions to this young victim. How did you meet this person? What is the promised salary? Do you know the destination of where you are going? Do your parents know where you are? And we ask a whole list of questions. And once we determine um, that they've checked all of these boxes and that they are in at very high risk of trafficking, we then work with local law enforcement who then will make the arrest of the trafficker. The young victim will stay with us. Uh, we have a shelter where we, are, where we are able to bring them. We share with them what human trafficking is. We talk to them about what safe foreign employment is. And we also get to share the gospel with them during that time as well, too. And we have just seen thousands and thousands of people come to Christ as we are intercepting them from human trafficking. So these are some of the data points, just to kind of let you know how it works. So let's say up on the far left, here is somebody's home. All right, a trafficker may come to their home. They might even meet with the parents and say, I can take your child. Let's say they are in, um, let me think, maybe they're in Rwanda. And they say, I can bring your child to a resort in Kenya. They can work for three months on the beach and they will, they will send all the money back home to you. And by the end of three months, they can come back home and start, go, start going to school again. So the parents put their trust in this person because they think they're legitimate. That person then will put that child on a motorcycle, you know, and then they'll go to another destination, a little stopping point. Then they might go to a bus station. So it's all places of transit where ultimately they will end up at an airport, you know, and actually fly to Kenya. So there are many points of destination and we work at these locations. 
looking for signs, looking for red flags, things that just simply look suspicious. And so this is where we are. Um, And we are finding who the recruiters are. We are learning what their destination is supposed to be. And we're also learning about their families. Is this a safe home we could send this person back to? A lot of times families are involved in the trafficking themselves. And if that is the case, then we will work with social services. We work with churches and we will find a safe home for this child. A lot of times, though, we can contact the parents and let them know what's happening. Then we will pay for that victim to be able to get back home. Whether it's putting their parents on a flight or a brother or sister, we will fly them to the destination. They can pick up their child and we will fly them back home. So we pay for all of the cost of that. And that's part of what the $120 is, a to-do transit monitoring Now, this is called Searchlight. I will say this. We have a lot of geeks that work for Love Justice International, but I am so thankful for our geeks that just sit at their computers. computers. We have created this whole program called Searchlight. And what I mean by that is when all of our monitors are filling out the paperwork, they are doing it by paper, right? We're working in very poor countries. We're in Nepal, we're in India, we're in Cambodia, we're in Indonesia, multiple countries in Africa. So our, all of our monitors are writing all this down on paper. Once they've made the intercept, they will then give that paper to another staff member who was not part of that interview. And they will go through a second verification. We have to make certain that this is a trafficking situation and not a migration situation. Once it has been verified for the second time, they then will put all of that into our program called Searchlight. And Searchlight is basically just a humongous database that keeps all of the information One positive thing about monitoring is that we are getting live data. We know what the trafficking networks are doing because they change every few years. They will change their strategies. They will change where they are going and what they are doing. The last time I was in Nepal, um, I was at a monitoring station in Karkavita, Nepal, which is right on the border of India. We came up to the station and our transit monitor was interviewing three young girls that were inside of the station. The trafficker was around the side. He was on his phone. We, I learned then that the latest strategy of trafficking is multi-level marketing. So there are trafficking agencies that recruit young traffickers, lure them in, and it's all based on a point system. Do you remember Amway? How you sell Amway? Maybe you've gone to a party at a friend's house and they're selling Tupperware. You know, that person is getting points because they're going to get free Tupperware, you know, or they're going to get free Amway products. So they're just trying to bring more people in. That is what the trafficking networks do. They host seminars. They show videos of the whole system. They tell this trafficker, you get three girls, you get X amount of points. You get five girls, you get more points. If you get a certain amount of points, you get a free vacation to Thailand or you get a free motorcycle. It's like the pink Mary Kay car. 
This is what trafficking agencies do. And so this young trafficker was part of a multi, multi-level marketing scheme. So he had three girls he was trying to get into India. So we had contacted uh, their parents. Their parents were on their way to pick up their children and they had pressed charges against this trafficker. And so that's why the live data is so critical, why it's so important that we're not getting old information. Uh, We are getting the live data. And one of the last things I'll show you is another thing called heat mapping. And this is what we can do actually through GPS. We can actually map locations and roads and highways places of transport where there is the most traffic or where most people are moving. So red uh, demonstrates areas where this is where the most people are. Heat, right? This is where we, we find from satellites. This is where most people are traveling. And it helps us to know where it is that we need to set up our transit monitoring stations. And so, um, again, we are just growing at a crazy pace right now because this strategy can be easily replicated really anywhere. And so uh, we are continuing to grow. We just started working in Indonesia. We are looking into Italy. Because of the war, we have been working in Romania, Moldova, and Poland as women and children are being trafficked as they are fleeing out of Ukraine. You know, traffickers are lined up on the borders just waiting to get people. And so we have made multiple arrests of traffickers and we are help getting these women and their children to safety. And so, um, but yeah, like I said earlier, art is a powerful way to describe emotion. And we have a partnering ministry called Freedom 58. I don't know if some of you all may remember a few years ago, we had several portraits up in the lobby out here. Um, Freedom 58 exists to raise awareness about human trafficking. And so we have an art exhibit of people who have been intercepted from trafficking. Right now it's on display in Vail. And so we just had an event Wednesday night. And so it's an exhibit that moves around so that we can just tell more people about, about the work and how we can invite them in to be a part of it. So you can visit our website at lovejustice.ngo. And also, I brought some cards. If you would like to receive our updates on all of the amazing things that God is doing, we send out just a monthly update, but we also send out prayer requests. And if you would like to join our prayer team, we would love to have you on our prayer team. And so I'm so grateful for Grace Commons and the support of our work and all that we're doing. And so does anybody have any questions over it? I know this is a very heavy topic, um, but we feel so hopeful about all that God is doing because 33,000 people, that's 33,000 individuals that are not in a brothel or in a slave condition today because somebody stood there for them at their greatest point of need. Yes, you had a question? That's a great question. You know, the places where we work are people are living in poverty. They just don't have Nepal. 
millions and millions of people leave Nepal every year to work in foreign countries because there's just no jobs, you know? And so people are truly desperate. And plus too, when you live in a village, they just, they don't know. People do not know what we know. They, they really think that somebody is there for their goodwill. They, they want to believe. And imagine if you're a Christian and you've been asking God to help you. Lord, please provide for our family. Lord, please, how can my children go to school? God, please, where is our next meal coming from? And somebody approaches you. You probably think that's your answer to prayer. Wow, look, God brought somebody into our lives who wants to help us praise the Lord. That's, that is the deception, you know, that is so infiltrated into all of this. Yeah. Yes. Yo, go ahead, back here, yeah. Yes. Yes, that's what happened. So I've also been, so we work in Delhi, India, uh, in New Delhi at the train station. And at this train station, 500,000 people pass through every single day. It's massive. Five minutes away from the metro station is a place called GB Road. And it is the most notorious red light district in Delhi. There are over 5,000 sex workers. About 90% of them have been trafficked there. So what happens is there are women who are older in the brothel system that become madams. They then start recruiting young girls to come because there is no other work for them. They, it, the, people have often asked me, well, why can't you just help these women get out? You can't, they are owned. There is a stamp on them. They are owned till the day they die. And if they leave, they will never get a job. No one will hire them. Their pimp will come after them, try to kill them. And they just have basically a scarlet letter on them for the rest of their lives. Their families will never take them back because it's a shame culture. And so there, there is nowhere for them to go. So then they often just start recruiting other girls. And when you become a madam, you actually will get paid more. And if they get pregnant, yes. their children are Yes, that's absolutely right. When I was there, there were babies these women were holding. And I just, I felt sick. Because often if they have a boy, the boy will become the pimp for his mother. And if she has a girl, then this young girl will undoubtedly, you know, become a prostitute as well, too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very dark. It's very evil. And so we want to do everything that we can to prevent young girls from ever getting to that place. Because, like, like you were asking, I'm telling you, little girls, children, families in Nepal have no idea what a red light district is like. They, they may have heard rumors of things, you know, but they have no idea what it's like. Well, if the country is so poor, how do all these men have money to do these terrible things? Well, these men are getting paid by larger trafficking. Like the, the, the trafficking network is like a web. Pardon? Oh, it's so cheap. It's nothing. It's nothing. 
Yeah, when I was last at GB Road, I, we, um, our director of, of India, actually all of Asia now, uh, the church that he goes to, I think it's called Delhi Bible Church, um, they have a ministry to the women in GB Road. And there's a group of women that go every Friday. Two of them are physicians. They will set up medical clinics. They will do different things like that. They hold church services. They invite them to church. All of these different things. So I got to be a part of that. And so I went into the brothel. I met with these women. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning. And in the room where we were, which is a brothel, right across the hallway was another brothel. And as we were having our worship service, there were about 10 young guys. I bet they were 16 years old who all just ran up the stairs, went into the brothel, and 15 minutes later they left. I mean, they're just paying chump change, you know, to get whatever they want. Yeah. Yes. That is a great question. We get asked that all the time. Because, you know, some people are like, why aren't you working in the airports here in the United States? It's like, can you imagine somebody just, hey, can you stop for a second? No. <laughs> Who are you? That's just not the reality around the world. So our staff are wearing badges, something very similar to this. Uh, we are not government officials. We are not law, law enforcement <laughs> We are a nonprofit, you know, working at these places. And so people, our, our staff will just stop. And our staff, y'all, are some of the most amazing people I have met in my life. They are brave. They have perseverance. They are so, so passionate about the work. And many of these women are about this big. I mean, they're just these little women, you know, and they just, you, come here. I want to talk to you. I want to ask you a question. And, you know, the girl just, yes, ma'am, you know, just will go to her. So people stop, yeah, when you're asking questions. Yeah. Yes. That is a great question. Yes, it absolutely is happening here. Um, I, we were just, John and I were just talking. We have been working for two years on a memorandum of understanding uh, with the Alaska airport. And we've been working with the airport staff. We, we were working with law enforcement, with government officials. We actually sent staff up there. We had a church in Alaska that was partnering with us. And just this summer, the governor said no, wouldn't sign off on it. And trafficking in Alaska is, is, is terrible. It, there's a lot of internal trafficking, indigenous girls being trafficked from, from their reservations. And they all go through the Anchorage airport. Uh, Alaska is a state of seasonal work, oil and gas industry, fishing industry. And so when men come up for the work, they literally just send in girls for, for the men that are coming to work. And they have to go through the Anchorage airport. So we have just been so sad, so disappointed uh, that we're not able to do it. We are looking right now into potentially working on Native American reservations. We're trying to figure out how that could work with our particular strategy. Uh, one, another reason is it's very, very costly to work here in the United States. What, the, what, how we're able to do this overseas is we offer a fair wage you know, for all of our staff. They are making what is comparable to what they could be making in another job. We just can't do that in the United States uh, right now just because of the cost. Another reason is because our trafficking does happen. And it is prolific here in the United States, but it is nowhere near what is happening internationally. But many of the girls that we intercept would eventually be on their way 
to the United States had we not been able to stop them. We also have, you know, our FBI will do an annual raid all across the nation of traffickers, pimps, madams. They will rescue girls. The countries where we are working in have no system whatsoever set up to do that. Yeah, so those are some of the reasons. Oh, well, you know, I worked alongside IJM for 12 years <laughs> before joining Love Justice. And uh, yes, we do. Actually, we partner in Ghana specifically together. And we work, I mean, you know, the community of believers in these countries, especially the community of believers who are fighting trafficking, is very small. So we are definitely connected with IJM. IJM is more on the rescue side of things. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, I'm very familiar with IJM. I have some very dear friends. Yeah. Yes? Can you describe a little bit oh, more thank you. <laughs> um, about what you do when you go into these countries where you don't speak the language? Yes. Right, yes. So, my specific work with Love Justice is I work in the realm, I'm regional director of donor engagement. So, I just invite people. To, to join our work and to participate and help us to grow, help us to go to new places. So a lot of times I will go with donors to a country and we're always with the staff person, you know, of, of that country. And so they will come, they all get to see the sites. Uh, my home church that I grew up in, in Arkansas, is taking a whole team to Nepal next summer. They're gonna work in our, we also have a dream, we have a school for children in Nepal as well too. That's a whole nother piece of our work is we help orphan and abandoned children. We provide homes for them. We have 19 family homes for abandoned children in Nepal, India, and Bangladesh. And then we have a K through 10 school that the children can, the, the Nepali children can go to. And so actually a few years ago when Jenny Fleetmeyer was our children's director here, we had, was it vacation Bible school, Janet? Yeah, it was, it was camp. And so we raised funds to buy, a play, buy two playgrounds for our school in Nepal. And so at the time, Eric and Daniel came with me to Nepal, and that was part of their whirlwind trip back in the day. And so they came, they got to see our school, they got to meet our, our anti-trafficking staff in Kathmandu as well. And so that's, that's the type of thing that I do with the work. So, yes, yeah. Because the thing is, is we can all play a role. What was it? I can't remember. I'm probably going to mess this quote up, but Mother Teresa said something. If I just look at the masses, I won't do anything. But if I think of the one, I will act. If you think of the one person, I will act. And each of us can be a part of helping the one. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. That's a great question. I would immediately contact law enforcement. Um, there are hotlines as well too. Um, you can even talk to that person. You approach that person. How are you doing? You know, do you do you know where you're going or why you're here? How did you get to Boulder? You can begin a conversation with somebody. It really is about trying to be aware of our surroundings, um, and it can be difficult. It can be difficult. I actually, this happened to me. Um, I think it was in May. I went to Little Rock, Arkansas for an event and was at a hotel. 
And I saw, it was at night, I was getting on an elevator, and a man, a white man, came out of the, came out of the elevator with a young black girl. And I said hi to her, and she looked at me and said hi back. And I thought, okay, but I got on the elevator, and once I did, it just reeked of alcohol. And I was, it, also it was my gut. I just thought, that some, something's, something's not right. So I contacted the hotel staff. And I just said, hey, I can't prove anything, but I just saw something that just looked suspicious because I didn't know where they went. You know, once I got on the elevator, they walked around somewhere. And I just said, I gave them the description and everything. And so they went and talked to the people at the bar. And I honestly, I don't know what happened after that. But he did say, he's like, our hotel staff are trained in spotting human trafficking, which is great. You know, I think we all could be trained in that. <laughs> So, yeah, I think talking to somebody is, is very, very important. Yeah. Any other questions at all? Well, y'all, thank you so much for coming today. And again, if you would like to receive any of our updates, I've got some in the back, but there's some right here. Um, if you would like to know more about our work, we would certainly love your prayers. We need prayers tremendously. Our staff, actually, every Wednesday, as a whole staff team, we all fast and pray for our work because we know that we are working in some of the darkest places in the world, but in the most hopeful way. So we would love for you to join us in prayer and, and be a part of our team. So thank you so much. I don't know if there's any announcements or does everybody know what's next or... Uh, or where to go from here? 315 uh, is our last, our last keynote of the day with Jim Candy and Dave Barton. And okay. Libby's here if you have any questions. Yes, absolutely. Her. Yes. And there's more information in the back as well, too. I've got some of my cards. I also brought some annual reports that everybody is welcome to take one. Yes. And we also will highlight our financials and all of that as well, too, if you're curious about that. We want to be, have the integrity in every penny we spend. So, yes. Well, thank you all for coming. God's blessings to you. Thank you so much.